Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine, recording in my Brooklyn apartment where sometimes the tech goes awry, radiators clang, that's just what we're dealing with. The day Matt Jennings woke up on his bathroom floor, he knew something had to change or else he'd die. Five years later, the chef, cookbook author, husband, and father is sober, happy, healthy, and on a mission to help other people in the industry find their way forward, even if it looks nothing like they'd imagined. Jennings joined Communal Table to talk about the obsessions that drove him then, what chef means now, his hopes for the future of restaurants, and why grocery stores matter so very much. Matt Jennings, my friend, where are you coming to us from today? I am coming to you uh, from pacing in my very cold kitchen. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. So, yeah, I'm in Vermont. Uh, I'm at home and uh, just, uh, you know, we're still waiting for it to warm up up here. So, yeah, I mean, same. It's it's a sunny day in Brooklyn today. Oh, nice. Which nice. we desperately need. I'm so tired of living <laughs> in the dark and the, and the cold. I mean, granted, there are people who have much worse than than I do right now. So, you know, glad to have all that. Um, and I will also note that you are a, uh, you know, father and pet owner. And so, so I imagine we might hear some scampering little feet. Yeah, it's possible that there could be some some interference at some point, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to stiff arm whatever comes our way. I think people are used to hearing those sounds from my side. They're used to hearing my dogs, my radiator, all this kind of stuff. And the thing is, they might actually know your name because I have referred to you on multiple uh, occasions as the patron saint of this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's very you, kind. you might not even know that, but uh, you have come up in so many conversations along the way you will you are episode 95 and I think like a good chunk of those when we've been um I've been talking with people about the people who really like you know step up and help other people and especially you know as they're going through personal challenges and stuff you're you're the guy uh for that so people will have definitely heard of you by now well i'm the guy that's uh you know been there and been in those personal challenges so i feel like it's uh i mean you know you and i are friends and we yeah. talk all the time about how i kind of feel like the the thing i've been done or the, the the reason i've been put on this earth is to connect with other human beings so yeah however i can you know do that and have it be meaningful i'm i'm all about it so i want to go back to the moment that i think you probably don't uh, remember this, but I, I do, at least I, I don't think I hallucinated this entirely. Uh, you were competing in the Grand Cochon mm. in Aspen. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. Yeah. I remember and, those days. <laughs> I was a judge for this competition, which, uh, do you want to explain what this competition is? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Is it still around or I'm not even sure. I think but, so. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a national um, heritage pork cooking competition um, where there typically are five chefs and five different breeds of heritage pig. And each chef gets to kind of, you know, work their magic and come up with an interesting menu, both for the public uh, for, for like up to three or four, 500 people that get to walk around in a, you know, event. Remember those? Oh God, um, barely. <laughs> uh, and, and then also for a panel of a very esteemed judges, much <laughs> like yourself. Jeez. Oh my God. I, I think this would have been like 2010. 
I think yeah, 2010, yeah, Okay, yeah. So <laughs> in that particular time, I was so new to so much of this. I'd been in food media for just a couple of years or something, but we had launched uh, the website uh, Etocracy for CNN from Aspen. So I was. I was tired. I had been eating things for days. And so I sat down at this table and had pork dishes and most of it's (laughs) little bites, but some of them were larger portions uh, from, uh, I think, five different chefs and it's multiple courses. And I, uh, good Lord, I wanted to die from over porking. (laughs) But as I recall, uh, you, you made a lunchbox. Was that you? Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, I did. Um, I made a cute little lunchbox with a bunch of fun little things in it all individually packaged. And, you know, yeah, we had a great time with it. Yeah, the food was absolutely incredible. That was uh, the day that I discovered the term meat sweats. (laughs) Uh, Jacques Pepin um, came over and and wanted a couple extra lunchboxes for his grandkids. And that made me feel pretty good. Oh, my gosh. Like (laughs) the the blessing of Jacques Pepin. Uh, Let's talk about... who you were at that what what is what is Matt's life like in uh 2010 what's my life like in 2010 uh well um it was busy um I was I was a restaurant owner um I was you know trying to be out there right and do all Mm -hmm. the things and be involved and um you know constantly uh striving to to help you know build an awesome team and create an awesome restaurant and and get the word out about what we were doing so it was a it was a very busy time yeah and what restaurant was that at that particular point so that was farmstead my first Mm -hmm. restaurant which was in providence rhode island um which started as a little kind of mom and pop like you know specialty cheese shop and you know gourmet store um, my wife is a pastry chef, so Kate would kind of do all the all the pastries and baked goods, and um, I would do all the savory. And you know, we were doing charcuterie and you know, beautiful cheeses and olive oils and pastas and that that whole thing. And then it kind of grew, and we took over the space next door, and you know, opened the bistro. And gosh, two thousand eight, I guess it was. So we opened the store in two thousand two or two thousand three, and then the bistro in two thousand eight, and uh, we were there until. 2014 um and then you know moved on from there to other endeavors in boston yeah and emotionally where are you in 2010 where am i emotionally in 2010 well um you know i had uh just become a father and um so that was on my mind um and i i was I was kind of the party guy. I mean, I was, um, you know, I was all about uh, the the kind of stereotypical chef lifestyle, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of partying, um, lots of kind of gregarious encounters with colleagues. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, a lot of over the top, a lot of lot of opulence and and, and decadence and like mm-hmm. ridiculousness and you know, um, just just kind of silly silly fun time. I I remember the times fondly, but I mm-hmm. I think I was also like kind of um, you know probably probably a little uh, you know hiding I guess behind a lot of that I guess I would say. Yeah, you know? it's. 
It's a meat sweat life. And it's, uh, I'm thinking that's the period during which, you know, we were all looking at, you know, all the chefs eat just louding pork belly and bourbon and, and sort of like this great big, you know, life of, of beautiful excess. And, uh, and then the bill came due for a whole lot of different people in a whole lot of different ways and restaurant culture, personally, professionally, uh, all these different things. And, you know, and the, you know, the reason that you know, you are so often referred to on this podcast is that you have been a beacon for a whole lot of people who, you know, they, they, there wasn't necessarily anything wrong with, you know, what was going on. It's just not necessarily sustainable for a whole lot of people. And they had not really seen different behavior modeled for them. And you were one of the first people who I knew who was, you know, sort of part of, of all that. And, you know, and, in a really like, you know, always seemed like such a happy guy and all this kind of stuff, but like really sort of said, you know what, I'm going to take a different path. Mm. And, and no, no one seemed to resent you for it, which was the, good, the, the the really good thing. Can you talk about how what you did and how you pulled that off? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, from from Providence, we, you know, I think this is like a very representative of that time period. You know, we being small operators, kind of having this little sliver of magic in the culinary world that we were very mm-hmm. proud to have in Providence, like wanted to you know, try and take it to the next phase, right? It was always about leveling up and mm-hmm. and given the opportunity to relocate to Boston and blow it out and take our concept basically and like, you know, do it threefold or fourfold, you know, and 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 kind of entertain what it would be like to be a big city restaurant was like exciting. Yeah. Um and and so, you know, I, I think and to some degree, I fell victim of that and should have, you know, recognized to some degree that like less can be more or at least more controllable. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, in any case, uh, you know, we took that opportunity and opened our second restaurant, Townsman, um, in Boston, which was 140 seats. So we went from Whoa. 40 seats to 140 <laughs> seats. <laughs> that's Don't uh, don't yeah. recommend it. Um, but yeah, that's case, a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, you can imagine the growing pains associated with that. And, and that just crushed me. Like it was, it was like the restaurant, you know, became well-known and we were doing some really fantastic things. I was very proud of the product. The team was incredible. Um, You know, all of the things, winning awards, doing all the, all the stuff uh, and getting lots of recognition, but like I was pretty broken Yeah, (laughs) as as a human being. Um, did you and sleep? I think that, no, no, no. Definitely no sleep. Um, definitely no sleep. Lots of work, lots of drugs and alcohol to keep mm-hmm. me going. Lots of um, abusive, you know, relationships. Not, thankfully, not that, you know, with, with my, my home life, but mm-hmm. certainly in, in the professional arena. Um, and just like unhealthiness, lots of unhealthiness going on um, while I continued to like chase the brass ring, you know? Right. Um, and, and I just kind of had a coming to God moment in 2016 with my health. Um, I was, you know, 400 pounds. I was definitely relying on drugs and alcohol behind everybody's back, Mm -hmm. um, and justifying it to myself and to my team. Um, and I, I had, I got really sick. And yeah. I and I had a, a, a full on collapse, actually. A lot, some people actually a lot of people don't know about this. Um, 
And my wife found me at home after service one night at two in the morning, um, completely passed out on the floor oh of the bathroom um, where I had fallen and hit my head. And oh, Jesus. so I went to the hospital and, you know, that kind of became many conversations with doctors about what was wrong and mm -hmm. some discoveries on, you know, what was going on with my health and everything just came back to like, you know, you you have the opportunity to make a decision um you can either you know change your life or you can die and uh so that really just <laughs> changed everything for me and you had a couple kids by that point i did yeah i had two kids yeah imagine you want to stick around for <laughs> yeah well i mean admittedly you know and, and to, to my mother's credit you know mm -hmm. she she was always somebody who was like she, you know, her voice was always in my head because yeah. going through a lot of the six, quote unquote success that I was yeah. finding, I always heard her voice saying, Hey, you know, this is going to end one day. Mm -hmm. And when it ends, you know, what do you got? And what do you, what is it worth you giving up now so that you can get what you think is success? And like, that was a conversation that she had with me a lot. And I was always kind of like, ah, you're being dramatic, whatever. But I never really did stop to think about the fact when I was sick um, that like, you know, my family is everything yeah. to me. And now um, that I'm sober, I will be five years sober May 1st. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. That's huge. Um, yeah, five years sober May 1st. Um, you know, I've lost a, a, a half of myself. Um, I've found exercise. Um, I found healthy living um, and um, I, I realized that, you know, all I need is the people that are around me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, you draw good people to you. Again, this is something that I, you know, that I have noticed that, you know, the people who's, who your name comes up with are all people who, you know, are, are really geared toward making the world a, you know, a healthier and happier place and healthy in all the different kinds of ways that that means, because I, I know that there's, you know, health as a, the, the way the word is used now is so complicated because so much of it is wrapped up in, you know, sort of this privileged notion of wellness and all this kind of stuff, but we're also living in the middle of a freaking pandemic. So, you know, it's incredibly multivalent and, you know, and, and so many of these healthy things are, you know, feel, you know, kind of privileged and stuff. And I do want to get to health in a moment, but I also want to ask this thing that you were after, this, this notion of what success looked like, uh, where did that come from? How did that form to you as a person and as a chef? That's a good question. Um, I have always been very driven. Um, mm -hmm. I am admittedly a perfectionist. I So rare uh, for know, a chef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I mean, I'm, I've always been my own worst critic, you know, like I yeah. just, I really evaluate everything that I do and I shred it apart. And like, mm -hmm. I don't really know where that comes from. I grew up in a house, like my dad is, is very much in the same mentality. He's, mm -hmm. he's very much a perfectionist. He, he's a incredible architect and mm. is very detail oriented and very like engineer minded, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of that came from there. Um, but I, you know, I don't know what, what perpetuated it other than like, quite frankly, ego. 
<laughs> you know? Also so rare for him. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, straight up, like, I, I, I fully admit, like, I, I had just as much as, you know, problems with my ego as any other chef. Like, I was, <laughs> I was constantly thinking that I could go bigger and do more and, you know, try to try to continue to achieve and like at the expense of who cares. Right. Um, and, and I think that was, that was it. And, and, and when I got sick and, you know, had to change everything, um, Mm -hmm. and then had to get well, it's really crazy because the realization of how little ego mattered at all to my life and to to me moving in a direction that was more sustainable for myself and my family like like I'd never even had those thoughts before and it like almost came overnight you know and I was like holy shit what am I doing yeah um so yeah it was uh it was time to time to change. Yeah. And, you know, being, you know, married to another chef, (laughs) that's, you know, how, how does, how does ego sort out in, in there? Because like, I think you have to have a healthy dose of it to, you know, to be able to survive in, in this industry, or at least the industry as it was at the time. Do you keep each other in check on that? Yeah. Well, my, I mean, my wife is, is like super, she is she's a goddess i mean she's just <laughs> like she's she keeps the wheels on the bus she yeah. is the most balanced you know person she is the most uh, selfless person that i've ever met um so so you know she certainly on many occasions was telling me that like you know i needed to kind of pay a little bit more attention to the people that i was affecting through you know um through me being unwell and, and yeah. you know, ego overrode that. I didn't listen, right? Because yeah. I made the assumption that, you know, no matter what I did, I could always fix it or she would always be around or, and, you know, all those things come crashing down when you're, you know, staring up from a hospital bed and trying to figure out, you know, what your next steps look like. Yeah. I mean, being sick is, is so humbling. It really you know, it, it really is. I mean, I, I had, you know, had been sort of building up for a few years. And then a few years ago, we sort of figured out what was wrong with me. I mean, granted, there are many, many things wrong with me. But in that particular <laughs> case, it was endometriosis and uh, a gut condition. And I found out last year an ulcer as well. Um, but, you know, as you're being poked and prodded and all these you know, things are going on, like there's no room for dignity or anything during that. It's just totally, like, yeah. let's stick this thing up. Yeah. And uh, there, you, there you go. Yeah. And it's just sort of a constant, you know, sort of, you know, it really brings it back to the bare minimum of, of things like, can I get out of bed? Can I use the bathroom? Can I, you know, do all of these kind of things? And it really causes a huge priority set or reset yeah. during that time. You also you also learn who sticks around during those times and who's really... Oh my really... God, isn't that the truth? Oh isn't my God. Isn't that the truth? The, and the people your, surprise your, you. Your true friends reveal themselves in those moments, you know? Um, it's very true. I, I, I remember shortly after, you know, getting sober and, and, and kind of starting to take steps and, and getting myself healthy. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the people that I heard from who I hadn't heard from in a while, you know? Yeah. And then some of the people who I was in constant contact with who just faded away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's how it goes. You know, I also had to remove myself from, from a lot of the people 
you know, who I had been spending time with because of the, you know, inherent addiction issues and all that sort of stuff, dependency issues and, you know, the relationships and how those can be unhealthy as well. So it was a, it was a crazy time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people uh, are, or I know a lot of people are dealing with that now in isolation because it, you know, it often takes a group of people to kind of get to that situation and have that community where certain behavior is normalized and stuff, but also to get well, it takes a a community to know Mm -hmm. that somebody else is, is going through that. And I know that you know, in this isolation that a lot of people have been uh, struggling with this or they're feeling sort of fatalistic, like, does it matter if I take care of myself? Because, you know, if the world is blowing up, my industry is who knows what the hell's going on there. I've seen some despair that's really, uh, you know, really intense. What what have you seen people sort of navigating this? Yeah, well, you know, I, um, whatever, like, Instagram is what it is, right? But I, <laughs> yeah. But I, but I, I will say, like, one, I will give social platforms this one plug, which is like, yeah. I've I've been spending a lot of time this year answering and and having conversations via direct messages, yeah, um, with people, and like, it's been a busy year <laughs> for that. <laughs> sure <laughs> you know, has. Like, like, it's been it's been very busy, like people reaching out, people wanting to touch base, people with questions about, you know, how they can, you know, get themselves on the right track or like problems they're having or challenges they're wanting to help navigate, you know, whether it's personal or professional or whatever. So like I've, I've been, you know, kind of seeing a lot of it through that, um, through social media and, and through, you know, the community, if you will. Yeah. Um, I've also though been seeing like incredible moments of, of hope and like beautiful, Mm -hmm. like, uh, opportunities for, for all sorts of people to connect and to support each other, um, you know, and, and to, to reach out and, and to stay in touch and to help each other out through, you know, these really tough decisions. And that's super inspiring, you know, so it's it's been a very you know fucked up year oh, for yeah. a lot of people but it's also like provided a little bit of a pause i think for us to all kind of you know take a deep breath and stand back and take a 30,000 foot view of what we're doing and why we're doing it and you know kind of count on each other to to help you know make some best decisions about how we how we go forward as an industry I mean, and you and I were sort of, uh, you know, joking about this beforehand, but I've I've seen a lot of people having this reckoning during, uh, you know, during this this moment of of pause and and anxiety and stuff, and saying, if I'm not in a kitchen right now and stuff, am I still a chef? Who even am I? Am I am I horrible for even thinking? Hey, I don't want to work on a line anymore. I still want to cook food, but maybe I go and do it in a care facility. Maybe. I, you know, take this, this other route for it and stuff. And, you know, to me, like that is, that is absolutely just as, as valid and special and wonderful as like, you know, working in a traditional uh, restaurant. And I know some people are still hesitant to, oh, am I still a chef in my mind? Absolutely. But I'd love to hear kind of what your reckoning has, has been or what your, your thought has been on all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's provide like the lines are more blurred than ever, right? Because mm-hmm. we're allowed to now pursue. I mean, 
there's so many different ways we can look at it. I think that like the traditional brick and mortar restaurateur or business owner, you know, restaurant owner, business owner has now had to, you know, here's the curtain <laughs> forewarning you, I'm going to drop the P word, yeah. has had to pivot this. Oh, way, God. <laughs> and like, I know it's the worst, but, but, you know, has had to do that to be able to like, you know, find auxiliary revenue streams for their suffering business. So they've got kind of like, you know, another uh, spoon in the pot, so to speak, or stirring another pot, right? While they're trying to run their business, they may be doing grab and go, they may be doing meal kits, they may be doing whatever. So they're kind of entertaining a, another, you know, creative outlet. Then you've got, you know, the people who are just kind of examining new opportunities that are still in food, um, you know, and, and evaluating kind of why they're in this business in the first place. You know, what is it that yeah. you love about it? Is it the people part, part? Is it the product part? Is it the connection to guests? Like what, what part of it really drives you and tapping further into that, right? Um, so I, I think it's really interesting. We're in an amazing time. Like it's, it's, it's in that regard, it's kind of like wide open. We're, we're seeing people do some new interesting things. So, uh, you know, it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about the role of ego. And I think, you know, some of that has had to fly out the freaking window right now, because you're not, you know, people are not going to be able to do the same kind of thing they were doing before. There isn't necessarily the opportunity or market for it. There are all of these different ways to be. And I think during this time of pause, there's a lot of reevaluation about how restaurants run Um you know, operationally, financially, all of that, there has been, you know, of course, a tremendous uh, reckoning around race and equity in restaurants and how people are are treated and who never got the opportunities in, in the first place. Um, do you feel like this is really going to fundamentally change how some of these systems are where do you where do you see it going well i hope so i mean if this <laughs> if this if this year hasn't provided the, the the lasting impression that we need i don't know what the hell will <laughs> yeah um you know this is the moment where where we all get to make those decisions together right and we all get to kind of say enough of putting chefs on pedestals mm -hmm. enough of like you know these you know you know, making, uh, you know, restaurants, these beautiful, you know, grandiose, you know, uh, 7,000 square foot, you know, spaces that, you know, have to be in an urban center. And like, you know, I, I think, I think that it's, it's a chance for us to kind of reset the rules. I guess the question is like, can we stick to it? You know, yeah. are, are, like how, how long is our memory going to be, you know? And mm -hmm. that's what I get worried about is like, when we get back to quote unquote, some torp, some sort of normal or whatever the hell that even means, like, yeah. are we going to remind each other that, Hey, wait a minute. Like, you know, um, we, we, we kind of, we were in a different place a number of months ago where we were making conscious decisions to, to better our industry. Are, are we going to be able to stick to that? And I, I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. Like you sort of wonder there's uh, you know, I hope, you know, a lot of the, sort of culture that has been so toxic and painful for so many people and kept so many people at the fringes, you know, right now people are sort of thinking like, you know, okay, oh, that's the thing of the past. But the first time that somebody cracks a 
joke that is at somebody else's expense. It's going to be like, you know, that, that sort of like, you know, muscle memory. And I guess, you know, it, it's going to be a, a matter of people with power to sort of police that or, or just to keep a check on it, be like, Hey, we don't do that anymore. Or some, you know, figure out some way to do it. Yeah. And I, and I think that, um, we have to just keep each other honest, you know, yeah. I mean, we have to, we have to stay engaged with, with each other. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of that galvanization this year of industry and, and, you know, uh, again, just, you know, for, for whatever it's worth, I know, you know, you know, the social platform thing, but like, you know, I was doing a clubhouse talk the other night and, um, you know, we had some amazing people on the stage that have, you know, gotten into all sorts of different things and, and are recognizing that, you know what, I can actually make a living owning like a, you know, a popsicle, a business where I make popsicles, right. Or like where Mm -hmm. I do, I've decided to do donuts. Like I was a high-end pastry chef at a hotel before and I was, you know, putting in 70 hours a week and, you know, I've realized I really just love making donuts. And now (laughs) I sell donuts. Now all of a sudden I'm being asked by all these farmers markets to do that. Like, you know, like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just saying that I, it's it's the opportunity that we've wanted to be able to see if we can change things. So, yeah, hopefully we can. Well, you had used the P word before. Now there's also uh, the F word. Uh, we <laughs> so you had been kind enough to help us out with our uh, mentorship for our best new chefs, and you used a word I had not heard before, and that word is flexorant. <laughs> Can you explain yeah. what that is? Yeah, so um I I love it. It's such a it's such a fun term and I don't I don't know if if it if it predated, you know, me bringing it up in in that particular setting with with best new chefs or not. It just was a a word that came to my mind um <laughs> and I thought it was appropriate. Um you know, this whole kind of opportunity for a a freestanding um you know independently owned restaurant to be flexible um to be a space where more than you know perhaps sit down table service gets accomplished but you know maybe you're doing other things maybe you're doing you know walk up service maybe you're doing you know home meal delivery maybe you're doing uh you know workshops classes events uh you know, online tutorials, uh, who knows? Um, I think, I think trying to engineer yourself as something that has the ability to, to be flexible and to morph into, you know, other opportunities as they arise or as you create them for yourself. Like it's just, it just feels like a better place for us to try and live in, you know? Yeah. I'd read an interview with you and, uh, and maybe this was a term you were using all the time, but you were talking about how you were, it's, you're serving relationships essentially. And, uh, you know, it's not just the food, it's not that service or whatever, but it's like making these relationships with people. And I feel like, you know, this is, uh, this is absolutely key because you had also written a piece uh, for us. I was trying to remember exactly if it was pre-pandemic, if it was sort of leading up to it about like why you should really celebrate neighborhood places Mm -hmm. and why that is so important. So I'd love to hear kind of, because what you were just describing about this sort of this flexorant and stuff, it makes it feel like a a restaurant. It's not where you just go and get your meal or whatever, but it feels like a community hub, like a, like a, so let's talk about what that 
means, especially, you know, outside of an urban area, if you're, you know, what it really means to be a neighborhood or community restaurant? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it can mean so many different things. Um, You know, I, I just have always felt like as restaurant owners, we have an obligation to more than anything to experience, right? Um, yes to food, yes to drink, yes to hospitality, but really to experience, like, mm-hmm. how do we, how do we transport, right? And like, that sounds a little like corny, or whatever. But like, that is really our job is to figure mm-hmm. out how we how we add value to people's lives. And, and I think a lot of people are looking for that opportunity to be transported to, you know, p- hopefully find new ways to engage in their own, you know, direct community. So I love like, you know, restaurants that that think a lot about those relationships that they have with their community, whether it's their, you know, they're supporting retail businesses that are on the ground level or it's, uh, um, you know, greater involvement socially. You know, um, I, I think there's a lot of different options there, but I just think that it, it, it helps you be a dynamic business owner, right? Like we should be. We should be trying to build companies, not just restaurants. And I think that's like part of it is that if you come to the table with some more ideas on how to create, you know, a holistic environment and that serves just, you know, your 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 yourself and your employees as well as it does the guest, you know, and your greater community, then you're that much better for it. Well, let's talk about what that looks like to serve the employees as well, because, I, you know, you have and I, you and I have talked before about like some measures that you had taken to take care of the people who worked with you and like doing cycling classes and, and, <laughs> and all that. And I just, you know, that really sort of set off a, a, you know, a bunch of like things in my head about like, oh my gosh, so what can people do to really, you know, people. You're, you're shoulder to shoulder with people uh, for hours and they matter as human beings. And I know often, you know, part of kitchen culture had been about dehumanizing people. You are just part of a machine, uh, but not really addressing the, the total person. So w- what are some ways that you had kind of solved for that? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, you know, trying to find ways to invest in, in the team, um, have a direct effect on the experience that we can offer the guests. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I guess that the point therein is that we should always as owners and operators, we should always be finding ways to, to get our team engaged and get our team, you know, healthy, whether it's, um, you know, opportunities for, uh, for mentoring or, um, you know, kind of hands-on instruction, people, you know, getting, getting your team to be able to dive deeper into specific areas of focus or expertise. Um, I'm doing that right now with, with a gentleman that works for me who is really into coffee. Like we've gone down this, you know, amazing path to be able to find um, new ways to, to have some great trainings for him to just really deep dive on that. Um, to, for self-development, um, but also like on the health side. So whether it's, um, I, you know, you mentioned the cycling thing. I mean, I've got bitten by the cycling bug. So that was definitely something that I tried to bring to to the team. Boxing, I got the team into boxing for a while. Wow. 
And that gets some um, aggression out. It gets. Uh, totally. It was awesome. Like we'd fill a, we'd fill a boxing gym with our whole staff and, you know, have an instructor lead the class. And, um, you know, that's great. That's great for everybody. Um, so I, yeah, so physical, mental, you know, um, trying, trying to nurture those things I think is, 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 is a great endeavor. You have now the way that you've, you know, P word pivoted, uh, you're, it seems like you're, you're doing a ton of things and you've got health of all different kinds at the center of it. Cause you got, you know, I've, I've seen you like, th- this was amazing. Like right as all of this was happening, I saw you, uh, you know, offer services and seminars to people to figure out like, how do we negotiate, like, you know, getting that PPE money? How do we mm. you know do all, all of this? And, and like, you know, you really were proactive in, you know, helping people figure out how to be kind of financially literate during this time and keep their heads above water. And it feels like, so you, you consult with restaurants and you also, I I want to hear all about the fresh markets and and all these things, but you're doing a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. I mean, I'm staying busy. I, you know, I, I continue to um, work with uh, full hearth hospitality, which is the you know, food, beverage, and hospitality consulting firm that I started with Jason Rose, uh, who is also a chef out in San Francisco. Um, And we have always uh, been, you know, driven to be involved, I think, particularly as the pandemic really ramped up and we were looking around saying, oh my God, how can we be useful in this time? (laughs) Right. You know, we've, we, yeah, we, we got involved on the PPE side of things with the like quote unquote pivot side of things with trying to assist people with, you know, creating some ulterior plans for themselves. Um, And, you know, that has kind of just continued. Um, You know, Jason is really taking the the charge uh, with the company in San Francisco and the Bay area um i you know we relocated to vermont and um i we found this little sliver of heaven about you know 20 oh. minutes south of burlington and uh it had this big beautiful you know red barn on it that i am now currently converting into a a kitchen um for <laughs> for, for some you know ways for me to continue to have my hands in food um on our on our little farm here um and then i i also was doing some local consulting and in the New England area and started working with um, a company called Healthy Living Market, um, which is a, um, not only does the the name play into my my life in a, in a very interesting way, but um, but is a, a 35 year old family owned, you know, natural food grocer based out of Burlington, Vermont, um, that is expanding and opening new stores. And um, they really needed somebody to come in and drive their their new culinary identity and philosophy. And um, so they created a, a, a opportunity for me to come in as the VP of culinary and, and, you know, create all new platforms and programs and build a whole new team in every store. And it's been, it's been really rewarding and really exciting. So. So I feel like I've, I've spoken with a lot of chefs who are looking for those kind of opportunities and, and positions as, you know, there weren't always a whole lot of role models for what this looks like because it was, you know, it was always sort of like, you know, this is a young person's game. You're in your, your twenties, your knees are still okay. You move into your, your thirties, maybe a little bit less. So, and then 
I've heard a lot of people say like they couldn't figure out what this next step was, what their exit strategy was, what their next move was, what their evolution was. And they were thinking, and they're thinking like, you know, I'm still a chef. I'm still all of these things, but like, you know, I need to have more regular hours, maybe have, you know, a family, maybe, you know, have a chance to date like a regular human <laughs> does and, and, and all that. And they're looking to have, you know, have these, you know, opportunities where they're still a chef and still involved in food and stuff, but they're not, you know, murdering their bodies on the line every night. And yeah, well, you said a really important, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you no, said no. A really, you said a really important word there, which is evolution. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's like, that is inherent in like how I'm trying to look at my life, certainly. And, and like the greater, life of hospitality right now is like we're in an evolution um you know we also i i being now kind of quote unquote on the other side of it as far as not being a brick and mortar restaurant owner which is a little bit different from mm -hmm. these last 25 years of my life that i've been spending in restaurants um yes i am that old um, <laughs> same <laughs> uh, <laughs> um you know now i have the opportunity to provide an evolution to other chefs yeah. and like you know, I just went out and, you know, for healthy living and, and was able to um, bring in some of my team, my, my sous chefs and chef de cuisines from my previous restaurants to relocate mm -hmm. them to Vermont um, and New York and to deploy them into our stores and, you know, just hired another one from the Bay Area. And, you know, and, and there's this kind of collective, you know, recognition, I think, on behalf of a lot of these people that, you know, like you're saying, you can still be creative. You can still have your hands in incredible product, right? I mean, the Vermont yeah. food ecosystem is like oh ridiculous, gosh. ridiculous. Yeah. And so they get to play with amazing food, work with local producers, create menus. You know, they still get to drive a team and, and, and mm -hmm. mentor, you know, younger cooks and like work with, um, you know, uh, an, an amazing group of people um, and, and grow into leadership and evolve into like not, you know, not just having a job, but having a career. Yeah. And like, I think that's a really interesting and compelling opportunity in this in this business and in this industry. So like grocery fascinates me, like just from oh, like, yes. a, you know, just just from like a food perspective, uh, you know, it's like it is such like a wildly different machine than restaurants. Um, but coming to grocery from restaurants allows me to have like some cool ideas, some different takes, like the ability to kind of, I think, move the needle in a way that, you know, traditional grocery is not used to. Um, and then grocery also is able to inform me because it's such, it's so much more of a process driven business. Um, you know, there's in, in grocery, you don't find a whole lot of like, you know, chefs whipping up specials, like on a Friday <laughs> night. Right. right. Um, but like those two things now, like being able to live together is like pretty dope. And like, that's a pretty cool evolution. So I think your, your use of, of vocabulary is perfect. Well, it's, it's just something that I've seen and, uh, you know, and we've come to, uh, you know, even just over the course of the last year, come to such a different place about it because it felt like I, I had so many, you know, friends who were looking for a way out, but there wasn't a role model for that because it's like you burn out or you die. And that's kind <laughs> of the way, you know, because for every like gazillion chefs, there's like one Jacques Pepin or, you know, mm. whoever, whoever, whoever else it is who is, you know, that person, they had a 
you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people working for them over the years, where'd all those people go? And there's got to be another next step that is healthy and holistic. And, And I really feel like the American public has never had such a relationship with grocery stores as they have over the past year. Yep. And that's it. And like, that was the kind of the very, the very small crack of light that I saw uh, <laughs> as these very black clouds were gathering in mm. February, March, and April of last year. Uh, crazy that it's now been officially a year. My God. Um, <laughs> but I was kind of looking at it and I was like, you know, I, I was kind of like standing back and I was like, huh, interesting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to be more like as consumers, we're going to be more attached to grocery than we've ever been before. You know, a lot of the decisions that we're going to be making about what we're eating are going to be coming from grocery more than ever because we're reliant on them more than ever. Um, You know, and is anybody in like the chef world kind of playing in this space? And it didn't seem that way. Um, And it also just seemed like a great opportunity to kind of like do something different and new. So, you know, so yeah, so that's what we're trying to do. So I've, so I've got um, two of my former chefs that were at, at uh, Townsman with me, um, mm-hmm. operating uh, with me at Healthy Living. One is my culinary director. One is one of my store chefs. And I just hired an, an amazing chef from San Francisco who's actually a Michelin-starred chef. Wow. Um, who, who decided that, you know, he needed a lifestyle change and his family's from here and he wanted to move back to New England. And so, you know, here he is. I'm like... This is, this is like, uh, this is exciting, you know, um, it's different. Sure. But like, we still get to do fun stuff and, you know, we're, we're entertaining now, like how much a la carte we want to do. I'm designing the new store actually as we speak and, mm. you know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, do we want to do like a Friday night pop-up thing? Do we want to do walk-up windows? Do we want to, you know, like, what's it going to look like? And that'll allow the chefs to still play and yet, you know, um, not be, not be married to like a, a seven day a week, you know, <laughs> uh, situation. So it, it's different. It's different, but it's cool. I mean, I think that's incredibly cool. And I've really appreciated restaurants that are now adding that other component to it as well. That is more like a provision store or a full grocery store or all of that. My colleague, um, Mel Hanshi and her husband uh, have an Aussie cafe in Easton, Pennsylvania, and they immediately had to, uh, you know, figure out like, what the heck are we are we going to do here? Because it was all dine-in and they ended up working with a whole bunch of local purveyors and stuff. I think like helped save some farms by Mm -hmm. making an easy route for the consumer to be like, Hey, come here, get your things. You would usually get at the cafe. And by the way, you know, here we buy, yeah, local eggs and all that. Yeah. I was going to say the egg thing. I remember she told me about the egg thing. Like they bought one week or something like 3000 eggs or something. I was like, Oh, I think it was like 30,000 or or maybe 30,000. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was was, incredible. Yeah. And just kind of broke down those barriers. And like, even I've, I've found that, you know, some of these farmers who were raising, you know, vegetables or eggs or dairy or whatever it was for restaurants and didn't have that revenue stream, like broke down a door and all of a sudden, Oh wait, I can buy directly from them or I can get it through Baldor or, you know, or somewhere else and still have those quality things. And you know, still trying to support my local restaurants as best as I could, you know, with, with, you know, takeout delivery and all that stuff during it. But I love the notion of going somewhere that is like all of these things where you could go and you could eat there, you could do a cooking class there, you could do your shopping there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that feels like, that feels like the right direction to me. 
Yeah, that's my goal. I mean, we've got still plenty of work to do to, to get there, you know, but, um, but that's, that's the goal is, again, you know, back to the kind of idea of, of creating experiences and creating mm -hmm. memories and, you know, providing the guest opportunities to, to be engaged and, you know, and, and, and all that is, is, is really exciting. Um, so yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So you as a person who had uh, you know, taken up cycling, that seems to be an obsessive thing that chefs do also is take up cycling or something. Uh, you know, I've had she I've had Seamus Mullen on the podcast before. And, uh, Love Seamus. Yeah, that addictive personality goes right into these uh, addictive, uh, you know, exercise traits, unfortunately. So I feel like I had actually written a story about this at some point about people who had about chefs who, you know, were making a change in life and they became like obsessive athletes of, of various sorts. Do you still get to, what is it like riding a cycle in Vermont in the snow? Is that a thing you can do? <laughs> riding a cycle. I love it. Riding, um, I don't know your terms, no, your I fancy know, I, know, terms. I, know, I know, I love it, I love it. Um, yeah. This is I mean, you on a unicycle is. or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, it is a thing you can do. And in fact, I mean, I, you know, uh, selfishly, another reason why, it was exciting for us to, to move to Vermont and my wife's from here. So that was really the, oh, no. the overarching reason, but um, miles and miles and miles of gravel trails, you know, oh. and, and, and dirt roads and, you know, just be, I mean, beauty, right. Of course, nature, um, but you know, road cycling as well as mountain biking and now fat biking in the winter. So what biking? Plenty, plenty of options, fat biking. What is that? So, uh, fat bikes are, uh, cycles, if you will, that are meant to go in the snow. So they have, um, larger than normal tires and a different type of, uh, gear drive. And you can literally ride in powder with them. Oh my God. It, and that must be a thing where like everybody who's listening to this, like from like New England is probably like, why do you not know that? But this is, <laughs> this is new to me. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're awesome. They're awesome. So, so yes, I'm, uh, I'm deep in the cycling world still, although admittedly have been so damn busy that, uh, <laughs> you know, I have not gotten in as much time on the, on the old uh, saddle as I'd like. Would you say it's a vicious cycle? Ah, <laughs> sorry uh, but we were also we we've been chatting about also you know you're going through this you're a dad and you're you're cooking at home for kids and family and stuff like I, we were saying i'm sick of my own cooking how are you yeah. feeling about What's yeah, that like well, I, it, it, it's true. I mean, we, I think we do get sick of our own cooking <laughs> and, um, you know, I am no stranger to that. Um, I think I was telling you about, um, we have this amazing, uh, woman that helps us with our, we have a new puppy. So oh, what's the puppy's she, name? What kind of puppy? Uh, she's a French bulldog. Her name is Stella. She's oh, super cute. Perfect. Um, but I can't talk with, talk about her without talking about our adorable, also two year old, uh, blue tick coonhound Hank. So oh, Hank. they they're best friends. Although that wasn't the case in, <laughs> in any case, they're doing great. But but Stella being so young, as I still have to get some work done, um, has been spending some time at a dog sitter's house, and our dog sitter is a uh, uh, Vietnamese, and she um, came out the other day to give me Stella and also a big pot of her mother's beef stew um, recipe, oh. and it was like this just amazing moment because I was like so grateful 
that I didn't have, A, I didn't have to go home and cook anything. (laughs) (laughs) B, that like, it was going to be unique, interesting, different flavors than I would have been experiencing in the (laughs) kitchen at home. You know, it's just like one of those things I'm like, oh yes, finally something different. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love cooking. I've been doing it for my entire life, but I'm, I'm burnt out a little bit after this year. Um, you know, just from, from all the meal, because I do meal prep too. So we do meal prep for myself and then, you know, we're feeding the kids and, you know, all the things. So you just, you get a little, uh, you sick your own, of your own stew, so to speak. (laughs) I'm so tired of my various sheet pan dinners. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it it gets us fed. We, you know, I try to switch up what seasonings we're using in the home and, uh, you know, ex- experimenting with various things. But what I've actually really loved recently is my husband has, I got him BritBox for Christmas, a subscription oh, cool. to it. And he's been watching Mary Berry's like country house show. And so he'll be like, oh, I should make, you know, her cockaliki soup. I should make cockavan. And so, <laughs> so I'm like, you go for it. Because uh, he is somebody who, he doesn't watch a whole lot of food TV, but when he does, it inspires him tremendously. He's like, I will make this thing now. I'm like, and it's amazing and really great. And that's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, we, we also do uh, what we call uh, family meal Fridays, which um, in most homes would probably be, you know, some cooking around the, the, you know, the table or gathering around the table in the kitchen with the family and cooking family recipes for us. Family Meal Fridays is all about um, remembering the the hospitality community and the family <laughs> meals that we would have in our restaurants. <laughs> so we actually go out and buy, um, you know, dinner on Fridays from from our favorite restaurants as a way to support. But um, it's once a week, and otherwise we're you know we're just we're trying to cook, we're trying to do the thing. So. Yeah. Um, it's, it has been a lot this year for sure. You know, we actually have a story. It'll probably be up by the time that uh, this podcast goes up, but about what family meals at restaurants are looking at, uh, are looking like during COVID. And Andrew Friedman has written this wonderful story and seeing, you know, cause I know that is such a fundamental thing at, uh, at, at restaurants is getting people together around, you know, around to eat, you know, pre-shift and, and everything. And, and, you know, and he's investigating how that has been disrupted. Now, would you ever want, what, what would happen if one of your kids said, Hey dad, I want to be a chef? Oh man. Well, <laughs> it's funny actually, because of my, my barn project I'm, I'm building right now. Um, you know, they're interested. They, they want to, they want to, so, you know, I have this, this zoning that allows me to be open um, in my barn from May through October. And I've already told them this is going to be like their summer job every year, (laughs) Um, you know, helping dad like flip the burgers or whatever. And they're like into it. They're like very curious about it. Like one of them feels like he, you know, my younger guy feels like he's more suited to be front of house and doesn't Mm -hmm. really necessarily want to do the food prep. My older son like wants to learn how to actually, you know, season properly and all this. So they have like objectives that they want to try to obtain. Um, but, you know, I, I, listen, I, I'll support them in whatever decision they want to make, of course. <laughs> like they only recently, right, since I've kind of been able to change my life uh, since 2016, have I quite honestly, you know, had had the the time or the desire to really spend as much time, you know, time with them every waking moment that I possibly can right. with them, um, you know, as, as, as for, for kind of the first time. And so this has been a really awesome um, last few years for me and, and they're into it. They're into food. Um, I don't know if they're going to want to be chefs. Like they've seen 
the worst of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so, so I, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Double chef family. That's, that is an intense thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, for sure. They, so they've seen all of it. What is, what's your hope for where restaurants go in this? Cause there is, I have to think a light at the end of the tunnel now. And by the way, if people can hear that, my radiator is clanging like crazy. <laughs> if, uh, if folks can hear that, sorry about it. I live in a very old Brooklyn apartment, so that's what's that's going awesome. on. But uh, what, like, what is it? What is your ideal thing out of this? Like, what do you want to see uh, for the evolution of restaurants and how, uh, like, chefs, you know, sort of chefs' role in society? Mm. Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think most importantly, I want to see chefs be happy i want to see chefs be you know fulfilled um i want to see chefs be able to be relied upon by their communities as not just somebody who knows how to cook but somebody who knows how to gather people together um somebody who knows how to you know create opportunities for engagement um you know i i think that chefs are are they hold a very you know, interesting place in our culture and um, now probably more than ever coming out of this. And, and so um, I, I think that I hope, you know, I hope those things continue. Um, I also want to see them be, you know, good, good, make good business decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not be forced into, you know, making business decisions for reasons of, um, you know, having, having too many external factors, uh, forcing them to make decisions, but to be able to have the, have the ability to make, uh, you know, decisions for themselves that come from a place of, of, of love and, um, and, and, you know, wanting to, um, create sustainable, you know, opportunities for themselves. And, and, you know, that those things will probably take a while, but, um, I, I am like, you know, it's been amazing to watch, you know, the, I think that this boom that happened in, you know, uh, the, the 2000s with, with chefs and restaurants and, yeah. and particularly developers, right? Developers really wanting to make sure that they had like, you know, that hot ground floor level tenant that was a chef, <laughs> um, you know, and, and how now that's kind of changed and, um, we're trying to find ways to build better communities through, you know, um, businesses that support each other and, 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 you know, that have a little bit of a better like mix. And um, I hope that, so I, I think that the, the prow, you know, the, the responsibility is as much, not just on the chefs, but by their greater communities too, right. To kind of make sure that we help chefs um, develop, you know, sustainable options for, for their businesses. Yeah. I think so much of this is going to come down to consumer education and, you know, have them really invested in the people behind it more, you know, more than the dishes, more than that, you know, the hot being seen at a particular table in a, in a place kind of thing, but really sort of seeing the role of restaurants and chefs in the ecosystem in their community. I think that's going to be such an important thing. And yeah. And, and I think you're right. And, and finally, you know, pulling the curtain back on the fact that like, you know, this shit costs money. Like this, yeah. is, this is expensive. Like when you're working with great ingredients and mm-hmm. you're employing a team and you're paying all the small business fees and you're got, you know, doing the insurance thing and, 
and you know got your rent and your cam and your overhead charges and like your transaction you know your credit card processing fees and like you know this is like there's not a lot of money to be made here um and and the guests need to understand that um and i think that they need that you know hopefully that all of this will will reveal a a new respect that we can and, and you know level of rapport that we can have with with the guests so um, we'll see what happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So a question I ask everyone is, uh, you know, you're, you're doing all these things to make a better system for people and these opportunities and stuff. What is, what is the selfish thing that you want for you? Hmm. What's the selfish thing I want for me? I mean, time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I want time. If there's a way I could get more time, I'd, I'd be psyched. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really, I don't really want much. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to have as much as I have, and I have a lot. And, and, you know, I think the greatest thing that I have is the realization um, that, um, you know, family and friends and community come first uh, and everything else comes second. Um, and, you know, I just, I just want to contribute. I want to be useful. I want to support people who, you know, need support and, um, you know, maybe, maybe get the occasional long ride on my cycle out on a dirt road. <laughs> do your, do your dogs ever come out with you when you're, uh, when you're on your um, cycle? <laughs> no, no, not, not so much on the cycle. Sometimes, you know, on the hikes, uh, lots of hiking here, lots of, well, this time of year, lots of snowshoeing and yeah. they, uh, you know, the puppy's too small for that, but Hank, Hank oh. loves it. So. Oh, I love that. And yeah. a few more sort of rapid fire questions that I ask everyone. Have you ever cried in the walk-in? Yes, absolutely. Who why, hasn't? Why is the, why is the walk-in so great for this? Well, I was maybe not so much of a crier as I was a screamer, yeah. uh, you know, a ranter. Um, and, and that happened a lot. And actually my last walk-in was a, was a walk through. So it was a, you know, the walk-in and then you, there was another door and it would go into the freezer and the freezer was probably like, you know, this, uh, this four foot deep by, you know, five foot wide section um, with, with Metro shelves in there. And so you'd go in there and there'd literally be enough room for like you and maybe one other person to stand. <laughs> but that was like my screaming room because it was so buried, you know, in the depths of the walk-in and it had its own door that like you could really just let loose in there. So. Yeah. yeah. The power of a good scream. It's really... <laughs> or like some people seem to like to punch, uh, like, you know, punch flour or uh, Anita Lowe talked about throwing butter. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. like, now I respect butter more. She's like, when I was younger. And I, I just thought that was the most charming thing. Yeah. Uh, what is your comfort food? What's my comfort food? Well, you know, admittedly, I love anything that's got like a crust with like some sort of bubbling center. Mm. Um, so I'm a pie guy, yeah. uh, big time pie guy, both sweet and savory. Um, I think that's probably my, my, my guilty, my guilty pleasure. I don't believe um, in guilty pleasures, <laughs> just pleasure. Especially like in the fall, like a big slab of of my dad's apple pie with oh. like melted cheddar cheese on top. Like that's my, that's my jam. My God, that sounds good. Yeah. What is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? 
Ooh, the last meal I had. Well, I mean, that Vietnamese soup that was handed to me the other day, <laughs> pretty emotional. I was pretty excited for that. Um, you know, I, I was, I was very, uh, thrilled to not just be able to taste something beyond my own cooking, but to have a, a, a lovely, uh, you know, family recipe handed to me, right? Like it's not often that happens. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty special. Um, other than that, um, you know, we, we had a, one of our first meals out um, after we were feeling like it was safe to do so mm-hmm. um, only just recently. Um, it was probably a month ago or so at uh, Hen of the Wood here in Burlington. Oh, yes. um, and, and it was awesome. You know, it was just, it was like just the, the right amount of time, just a couple of small things. We weren't there for very long. We were one of the only tables in there. We sat in the bar, like near the bar, near, at the fireplace, and like, it was great. It was just like it reminded me of the fact that like, you know, restaurants are so fucking important, right? Just like yes. oh, so important, and and we have to, we have to just all of us collectively have to remember how important they are and and to celebrate them and to see them as like so much more than their physical elements right like it it was it was a lovely evening so that's so and that sort of ties into the next question which i used to ask people like what's the last meal that somebody made for you in their home but because that's so complicated um these days and also people might not want to give the real answer to that because of (laughs) what's been going on what was the restaurant meal that you fantasized about having again, that place that you, you know, had been to before and you're just like, ah, I'm really going to feel safe and like the world is right and stuff when I can go back to this place. Oh my God. Well, for me, there's uh, no question when it comes to just like a room that I love and cuisine that matches that room and that experience especially because i just have so many great memories there and that's sarma in boston Mm. um cassie puma's restaurant and like that's just a special place and it always has been and i've had like some awesome date nights with my wife there and um you know i I don't know it holds a very dear place in my heart and um i am yearning to get back there um at least that's my east coast answer (laughs) um you know i've got others but uh yeah i i I think like any of those places that we've been able to have a a shared experience with another human being that kind of takes us away for a moment and reminds us to you know look into the eyes of somebody else and and you know have a have a serious (laughs) meaningful conversation like that's uh that's where i want to be yeah, I actually just remembered that I got to see you in Austin a couple of years ago, and you know, I came down as you were you were finishing a meal with a with a friend, and I was for some reason this came up the other day, like a, you know, somebody came out of the back and offered to me, "Do you want to pet a dirty puppy?" And like, just, <laughs> it was a, it was he was a friend of yours, a chef friend of yours, and he just like smuggling a, a dog through the restaurant, and it just made me so happy. <laughs> just to like people to have those like fun community experiences like sitting i for some reason i end up sitting in a lot of like hotel lobbies and restaurants with you (laughs) yeah i I think we always like try and like meet up on like you know the last day after all of our madness and uh it's like oh my god wait a minute i have to see that person yeah we said we were in south beach we were in austin we were like in all these different places and i'm like i think i miss that i miss like getting to just like see people at you know out at places that really like gets to me it'll it'll come again i know it will um it will 
what living musician would you want to cook for and what would you want to cook for them? Oh man. Um, well, I've been having all the, I've been having all the Willie Nelson feels lately. <laughs> you and our um, editor in chief Hunter Lewis. Yeah. yeah, man. Like I, I, I don't know. Like I've got a little bit of Colorado blood in me. My dad's from Colorado. And mm-hmm. so I've got a little bit of splash, a splash of Western in me somewhere, <laughs> but, and my mom's from California, but, um, but my son got a turntable during this whole pandemic oh. and has fallen in love with my vinyl collection. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It's been a really cool kind of like, you know, bonding opportunity for he and I, and, and one of the things that he, <laughs> he has really been digging on is Willie. And um, so we've been listening to a lot of Willie um, a lot of Patsy Cline, yeah. um, you know, a lot of uh, kind of the old timers, the outlaws. Um, and that's been really fun for me. Um, so I think probably, you know, Willie or Waylon um, would yeah. be, would be a good, a good dinner for me. And I think, you know, I'd just love to cook them something on the fire. I think if we could just do something simple, like, uh, you know, a couple steaks buried in the coals with, you know, some nice potatoes and, uh, you know, some spring veg, uh, just keep it super simple. I, I think that, that, that sounds like a pretty fun evening. I, I will have to check the records for this, but I think you might be the third person who said Willie. <laughs> People, oh, really? Willie and Dolly pop up a whole lot. <laughs> That's and, so and, funny. and Bruce too, all the, all the single name people oh, like pop up, go. but, but Hey, you know, like there's, there's a reason that people want to want to cook for folks and what everything that they've given to our lives is so important. And just incredible. And final question. If you had five uninterrupted minutes for self-care, you know, phones in the other room, everything's taken care of. It's just you. What do you do? Mm. Five minutes. That's it, eh? Yep. So, cause um, other, otherwise it's too much like, oh my gosh, I have to go and do this thing. Like something that like, you know, a line cook could do or, you know, something where, you know, you get your five minutes. This is what you do. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been doing some more breathing exercises this Same. year, which I really like. Um, have you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I use Headspace. Yeah, yeah, I like Headspace. Um, I I think that it would either be um, some breathing exercises or it would be reading some poetry. Um, I've I've gotten back into poetry again, and you're my second um, guest in a row to say poetry. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I Lawrence... used to write a lot. I used to write a lot of it. I was actually in pre-culinary life uh, when I was, uh, I tried a year at liberal arts college. I was a creative writing major. Well, you're a really um, good writer as I happen to know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, and so I think that it would probably be that. In fact, I mean, kind of uh, uh, in the same vein, um, I have one of the other things that I've, I've clawed back this year in COVID is, uh, is my college band. Wow. And and the college band is back together. On Zoom? On Zoom. And we are working on a new album. Wow. Um, You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So that's coming. And it's pretty, I have to be honest with you. The songs are fucking good. And like, I'm, and I'm excited to get this thing out in the world. So we've been like, doing the whole like, you know, garage band and Pro Tools thing back and forth and sending mm-hmm. each other files and one person will, you know, put the headphones on and add to it. And it's like, what an awesome experience. And so I, I think like something in that vein of like poetry, music, 
or, or just straight up breathing. <laughs> and, and what is, what's the band called? Well, you know, the verdict is out on that. And here's why. Here's why. Because we're not going with our original name, which was horrible. Um, and I'll tell you, it was it was artistic license, which is just like the worst, the worst college band name you can imagine, right? Um, as if like a band needs to like, you know, announce that they have artistic license. I love it. So, so we've decided not to use that. Of course, we were only like 18, 19 when we were making those decisions. So you've got to cut us some slack, but I don't know what the new name is. We've been, there's a text thread with like, you know, all of these suggestions and I'm starting to catalog them in notes. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Oh, I'm so excited for this. And I'm just, uh, as always, just, you put a smile on my face and I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for what you put in the world, the care that you give to your, your friendships and, and all that. And if people wanted to find you online, how would they do that? Well, uh, they can find me on Instagram at Matthew Jennings uh, and on Twitter at Matthew Jennings. I am not on the Facebook. Uh, I, I <laughs> Smart. Am, I, <laughs> I am on LinkedIn. You can find me on there. And, and you know, I, I think maybe just stroll into uh, – to uh, you know, a healthy living store, or maybe come walk up to the takeaway window at my barn at some point between now and, and October, and uh, you know we can we can connect. Oh, thank you, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much to our guest today, Matt Jennings. I think you could probably hear in my voice during that uh, how much you know adoration and esteem I have for this man and for everything he's done for the restaurant community and continues to do. And you can find links to all of his projects and his social media in the show notes. And I really, uh, it's, it's, it's really a good read and uh, bonus. There are pictures of that new and adorable puppy on his Instagram feed. I am so much in love with this pup already and cannot wait to meet and, you know, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really enjoy doing it. And in part because it, you know, it gives me a chance to talk to people like Matt, but to work with our producer and Tara Sinha, who puts, she just puts so much love and care into producing this podcast every week. And I thank her so much, along with Sarah Crowder, who gets together the images for it. Yes, this is audio, but we also have it on the Food and Wine website. Um, Actually, uh, th those are done by Sarah Crowder, and you can find the latest podcasts in this section of Food and Wine called Food and Wine Pro. It is the part of Food and Wine in the magazine and on the website, and someday soon in person, where we really talk about these issues like you heard about today that really affect the restaurant industry, and more importantly, tell the stories of the people in the restaurant industry and uh, it's a place where people can share knowledge and expertise and learn and feel less alone. This is a really lonely and scary time for a whole lot of people in the industry and there's a chance that you know, you'll know you see something there, hear something there and uh, maybe it'll make you feel a little bit like you don't have to go through it alone. Um, Matt's always great for that. Like I said, check out his socials and uh, he leads you to good resources, but you can also come to Food and Wine Pro, foodandwine.com slash FW Pro. And while you are there, 
You can sign up for the Food & Wine Pro newsletter that shows up in your inbox on Friday or Saturday if we don't have our stuff together. And it is, uh, it is a delightful read, I happen to think, written by our editor-in-chief Hunter Lewis, who uh, has words of wisdom every week. And we include a whole lot of links to the stories that we think really, really matter to the industry. Our My colleague Oset Babur gets all of that together. And uh, you can find the latest podcast in there as well, so you don't have to go searching for it so much. I mean, you could also subscribe, so it shows up in your podcast feed, and that would be a lovely thing to do, along with stars and reviews, and those really help people uh, find us, that, you know, that wacky algorithm rewards interaction like that, so you know, leave, leave lovely comments or suggestions or whatever you're feeling and, and those stars. And it really helps go a long way as does sharing this podcast with someone who you think could enjoy it. I am also pretty easy to find cat.kinsman at foodandwine.com or on Twitter at kitten with a whip. I would really love to hear about what kind of stories you would like to hear, who you would like to hear us talk to. Um, you know, I just, I like interacting with folks. It's just a wacky thing about me. And, you know, folks, also, I want you to take good care of yourself until the next time we meet. And I'm going to kick it over to our colleague, Kelsey Youngman, who shares the mantra. She shares a mantra every Monday at our full team meeting. And it's too good to keep to ourselves. So I'm going to kick it over to Kelsey. Hello, I'm Kelsey, the Associate Food Editor at Food & Wine, and I'm here to offer a mantra for the week. Well, this week I'm actually going to offer a small practice. It centers around compassion and loving-kindness. Loving-kindness is this kind of specific notion of compassionate friendliness towards others and oneself. But it's also an active practice, one that builds our stores of compassion each time we intentionally wish others well. So it becomes easier and easier to dip into that deepening well. It literally helps change the wiring of your brain so that compassion becomes an easier response to fire. It starts with three simple phrases. You can repeat them silently in your head, conjuring an image of yourself, a friend, a loved one, even a stranger, even the whole world. Simply repeat, may you be healthy, may you be happy, May you be well. Start a little loop in your brain, imagining whoever comes to mind, and sit with it for a while. Don't forget to turn it on yourself, too. We all need compassion and loving kindness. I hope you have a beautiful week.